Hello and welcome, folks, to another edition of RSF Radio. I am your host, Joe Monday, and this is a special edition of RSF Radio. You know what that sound means. I've got someone who I've been meaning to uh, interview for a while. Someone that I've been that's like been on the docket, but he's hard to get. He's hard to track down. You might know him from the director of Combo Breaker. We all know him as Rick the Hedo. How you doing, dude? I'm doing pretty well. Happy to be home for an evening. Yeah, it's like, listen, man, as someone who shares a, I mean, I probably don't have your crazy life schedule. I was about to compare my own life schedule to what you go through, but you're on an airplane. Like in my mind, you're, you're just constantly in flight. I think everybody has their own personal struggles. So I don't want to worry on comparisons too much. Uh, man, you're trying to like get real with me. Like, come on, man. Like, no, you're like always on an airplane being like, I, this, this airplane has Wi-Fi, AMA, always working. I have not had nearly enough flights in the past year where the Wi-Fi worked. Yeah, that's like a plane that's in existence right now. And it's a Virgin like a Airline and it costs $1,000 for a coach seat. I'm not taking any $1,000 flights. That's not happening. <laughs> No, of course not. It's the FGC. What are we talking about? Um, but it, I digress. Uh, I wanted to have you on because Combo Breaker was announced, uh, gosh, at this point, a little over a month ago. A little over a month ago at this point? Just or about. Just under. Uh, announced but, December 20th last month. Sure. So, yeah, just about a month ago. And almost immediately... It, it was one of those things where you and I had been talking about this before the announcement. You're like, yeah, I got this stuff coming up. And I was like, okay, great. This all makes sense. We'll catch the wave of that. And, and that'll boost the like entrance or whatever, or however that goes. Just, it made sense. Cause you had something to say about the event that you run, all that information be public. And then like minute one, like how, how long did it take uh, to fill up hotels? It was like registration was just, the pipes weren't big enough. The internet no. pipes weren't big enough. So we launched midday. The website immediately crashed, which was terrifying because we actually purchased more hosting than we've had in the past. So then we had to go and get a fancy business account that we couldn't afford and had to cancel two days later. Mm. Um, <laughs> Core Resorts sold out. I think it was a little shy of six hours, which is absurd. Yeah. The hotel across the street was gone by the time I went to sleep, and I don't know if that was 1 or 2 a.m. that night, but it was late enough, the third hotel, which usually sells out some point in February, was gone that week. We picked up another hotel uh, down the block, I think mid the following week, which has a couple of rooms left to my understanding, but rooms are disappearing faster than Reg, which is always a interesting dilemma and it's it's a it's been a hell of a launch window actually yeah honestly i can't imagine what that is like as an event organizer just being like well we've prepared what we think is enough in comparison to what we did last year like you have projections i'm sure uh like you said you had already bought in the more more space you had already you had prepared the internet pipes you made them bigger but they weren't big enough <laughs> They were not. Uh, but that's got to be awesome. That's going to be an awesome feeling. Like being, I don't know, like, no, so, like, I guess here's like the, the, the other end of that question 
uh, I'm, I'm going to try and bring like the, the negative edge to this one is like, does that cause problems for your event? Do you have to now start thinking like, Oh shit. Like how, how are we not prepared for this? Like how many setups do, are we going to need? Like, is that ever a problem now? I mean, I think that's a problem that you have every year regardless. So it's obviously a larger problem for us this year than it would have been in a prior year. Um, we had expanded to additional ballroom spaces and resort locations this year to try to accommodate for some of that. We had actually capped the total potential attendance at the event to navigate some of that risk. Mm -hmm. I think that will prove successful for us this year, to be honest. Um, we definitely have access to the amount of setups that we're going to need and that access is also scalable if we come in 500 players above projection i can still clear the equipment necessary to make that work oh, it cool. activates earlier pools which nobody wants to wake up for myself included but I, oh man it, it can will. we i need to stop you there and say that that was if you haven't hey listener if you haven't signed up for combo breaker yet one you should do that uh two uh, there is that line in in the agreement section that you have to click like, yes, I agree to this. Uh, what is it exactly? Something along the lines of, uh, by clicking this, I understand that I might have pools before 10 a.m. And I lost my shit. So it's not, it's thankfully not before 10 a.m. Because I tried to, I don't want to get up before 10 a.m. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, what it states is that you understand by clicking this agreement that your <laughs> pools may begin Friday, May 24th, as early as 10 a.m. Um, everybody thinks that's a reaction to the blowups from this year, which I will confess I found promotionally entertaining enough that I didn't discredit <laughs> that idea. Uh, however, that's actually been in our event agreements every year except 2015. Hmm. So it's a it's actually a legacy component. I saw Ace King call it out in a Reddit thread somewhere. I don't remember yeah, where exactly. It, like like really all I mean, blow up culture being what it is, it just seemed so poignant. And of course that's something that hey, as someone who's run events, I know people don't read the rules. I don't read the rules. <laughs> so it, it would make sense that uh something like that as a legacy holdover would just kind of be there, but be kinda poignant at the at the time. Some of the best and worst parts of all things in our community are legacy oriented. Oh, that's, hmm. Should we spin off into that? I'm trying to think of all these avenues that we had. So for the listener at home, here's a little inside baseball is that before this conversation, before I hit record, we kind of made an agreement in to not spin off into the things that we might want to spin off into. Like, for example, if I were to say, how do you feel about the latest Doom? You might say, it's pretty fucking rad. And then we could talk about Doom for the next, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. It's a great game. The music is great. Killer Instinct's music is great. Maybe we should talk about that. I don't know. I could definitely talk about both of those things, but we haven't even made 10 minutes before you want a tangent. I know, but that's what I'm saying. I'm specifically saying that we can't talk about those things. So if I say it out loud and say it what it is, then maybe we won't spin off and just reel it back into what you got going on at Combo Breaker. Uh, so along that line of thinking, is there, I guess, is there anything 
special planned for combo breaker knowing now that you're probably going to reach your your max capacity uh, do you expect to meet 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 max capacity so we That's set we set the total cap about 250 people more than i think we're going to hit now part of that is we've grown 20ish percent year over year every year since we started so mm-hmm. i've started to kind of assume that's where we're going to be with that said the actual percentage that we've increased every year has gone up every year and i keep assuming at some point i'm going to hit the community plateau because it exists out there uh if we hit that plateau this year uh we shouldn't hit our cap if we blow past that plateau and the community's still growing as much as i think it can we'll probably hit that cap like uh, for example, we could talk about MK11, that being at your event. Do you think that'll boost numbers? I mean, I would hope so. I would like a absurd number of people to play that with me because I will probably be in that bracket until my staff pulls me out of it. Speaking of which, I mean, so to pull back a little bit further, folks, uh, you're I'm catching you basically right off the plane. You just walked in the door sat down, opened up the your computer, and here we are. Yeah, I got back about 40 minutes ago, uh, came from the Mortal Kombat 11 reveal down in L.A. Hell of a show. Um, have not even really played ball with my dog yet, so you got my immediate attention somehow. Wow. that's that's I'm honored, actually. Uh, because I think that something that's important about that event, the... What are we what are we calling? It? Is it a launch event? Because it wasn't like launch of the like launch of announcement event. It's not the true launch, but when you talk about it being a game reveal and a platform for that franchise to kick off into its next iteration into in full. Yeah. Absolutely a launch event. They okay. did a full stage spectacle reveal. They had a full gameplay area for everyone to get their hands on the game. They had a vendor village that was actually designed and curated in a way where I just stood there and spun around looking at it for a while, mostly in awe from a logistics and presentation side, just as someone who likes creating that type of experience. It's really cool to stand in the middle of one that's so well executed. Yeah, um, a, a space that makes sense that flows from one place to the other. Cause there are some events I think we can agree where sometimes players feel locked into places or it doesn't make sense where things are. Um, but you're saying that the MK 11 launch event was actually pretty red. I think it was extremely well done and it had a lot of little touches that are things I don't think you'd even think of until you've done enough of that type of spectacle trade to where you've done it wrong enough times that you want to correct it later or you've missed key moments that in the future kind of click as you're doing the initial production workflow and deciding what to do great example of that being they had like any of these events they had a press area in a back Mm -hmm. corner so people more important than me could sit down and play the game and capture their thoughts to put out to the internet for their audience. And those, uh, those stations that they had set up for them came complete with not only capture software and recording systems and audio and microphones, but flash drives. So they could literally dump whatever they just had done and take it with them and get it out to their fan base immediately. And that's that's probably been, 
that's probably been done somewhere before. I don't think this is the first event that's ever done that, but I've never seen that before personally, and I haven't seen it with a fighting game. So it's just one of those things where you sit there and go, wow, that's so obnoxiously smart that somebody actually legitimately deserved whatever they got paid. Mm -hmm. And that's Uh, not always a reaction I have. Do you know who was in charge of setting up that event? I, I don't currently. I know it's a product of WB Games and NetherRealm, but I don't know the individual people responsible for each portion. Okay. I intend to find that out because I want to congratulate all of them personally. Yeah, but... no, that is something I'm right with you on that. That is something that within, like specifically within the FGC too, is that I feel like there's a lot of people behind the scenes that don't get thanked enough. Um, and. It, when I say you, thanked, I also mean like paid enough, but that's a whole other, that's a whole other issue. Um, always will be. But at the end of the day, if your job is to create something for the entertainment of others, that is putting other people out in front of the product. If you're not the face of an engine, mm-hmm. your job inherently is not to get a ton of praise. If you become notable, it's probably cause you were screwing up. <laughs> Uh, that is unfortunately true within the FGC. Um, that is not an FGC specific thing. That also true. Uh, but yeah, it looked like a cool event. I saw some people getting inked. Like Mr. Cartoon was there. That's they bananas. had. They had easily one of the most famous tattoo artists in the world design his own five piece sheet of Mortal Kombat Flash. That's and f- sit there tattooing people that's like bonkers to me it's fantastic as a guy who would love to have a tattoo artist or artists at any of the events that i've put together um it was really cool to walk in and see that and go yes someone did that someone sat through (laughs) all of the legal proceedings and certificates and bloodborne pathogen certifications and fire marshal code annoyances and just did it yeah because that's the like you threw out all of this this language here that a lot of listeners might not be familiar with if they've never tried to operate or run an event, but there is a whole lot of red tape that needs to be crossed to make sure that something like that could even be a legal possibility. There's red tape just to be able to have the space open the doors and with people in the room. To have that space and now have an open tattoo environment in a location that's designed to look dirty and run down on top of that Mm. is a wonderful feat to see actually achieved. Yeah. I I wonder what like walkthrough inspection was like for them. Honestly, terrifying probably. (laughs) Yeah. Not a, not a good situation. Uh, but regardless, so you've just come back from that event overall, you're pretty positive on it. How's the, I mean, I know this is a street fighter podcast, but I feel like the, community has enough crossover between games and i always encourage people to play as many fighting games as possible how was it how to play so i'm horribly biased here because i actually love mortal Kombat and i've played the franchise for many many years now from um, here it's a little bit different perhaps than than MK10. yes so Mortal Kombat X was a frenetically paced uh wide camera large stage chaotic game at least in day one mk11 seems to be 
pulling back from that aesthetically cameras up close you've got significantly slower attacks you don't have quite as many pressure tools that seem to go into mix-up situations um, combo system is condensed you weren't seeing even with the exhibition with the players who had had at least a little more access to the game than a couple of us um long yeah, I'm just going to say long-winded juggle combos. There wasn't the trademark, I hit you in the corner, and here's 10 jabs before you hit the ground thing, which I'm going to kind of miss personally. It's just part of the game to me. But that combined with meter changes and how they now have a counter-hit system that has unique effects, both visually and in-game practically, they have a super system now that functions a lot like Tekken's rage art mechanics. So particularly as somebody who's been heavily invested in Tekken the past couple of years, that feels very cool to me. Um, I think it's going to wind up a very different game and it's presenting as a slower, more methodical game. I'm hoping that breaks open and it becomes this thing that starts slow and methodical and inches its way towards a marble. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I had a lot of fun with it. I've only had, I think, six matches total, so it's not something I can dive deep down into, but felt good day one. In the None builds, of my characters are in it yet. In the builds that they had available, was it all just versus? Uh, yes. Okay. So I don't know if the build itself had more because there was a title screen that had a local combat, a conquer mode, and I think it was online that had some kind of cool key art attached to it but they had representatives in the area making sure that okay every station has two people those two people are actually playing against each other they're testing out matches they're not just sitting there recording run frame animations um so maybe i guess i I never tested hmm, that hmm actually hmm they weren't like letting people do some uh some science they weren't letting people do fighting game science it's not that I don't think they were letting people do it. It's just if you were going to do it, you had to go in there with another person where that was your objective goal because they were making sure that every station had two people. Okay, that's so it, like if you and I went in, sat down, I was like, all right, here's Sub-Zero. We just want to test out stuff for because they let people go for 20 minutes, mind you. You had real time. It wasn't you played one match and left hmm. because they had a ton of setups. Um, we probably could have stood there and done that. Uh, I'm not one of those guys though. If you'd asked me to just go in there and science out, I would have gone in there and just tried to crack out playing the game with somebody else. Anyways, I like learning through intense, excessive failure. That's fine. That, that is one, that is an approach, a tried and true method. Some might say, uh, but no, it's that's real cool. good till you forget to learn your frame data. Well, I don't know. There's, there's arguments to be had of whether or not, even the games that are made right now uh, require too much frame data knowledge. And I don't Joe, even... this is a this is a Street Fighter based podcast. Everyone listening, <laughs> learn your frame data; it's valuable. Yes, that that that's the thing. So, I am an advocate for learning frame data. Like anything, is a tool. It is a tool for players to learn. Uh, and without it, like it's just. It's just easier, you know. You can cut wood with, uh, with a hacksaw, but if you had a chainsaw, it's a little bit easier. Uh, and frame data can help out in in that kind of way. Uh, but no, that's cool. Um, glad he had a good time at the at that event. That sounds like a like it was a, at least from my end, as a viewer, 
it looked as though everyone who was there had a good time. I don't know if like there was, I don't know if the hype was the same on stream. That's not something that I don't think, I feel like it's hard to, to gauge, uh, in terms of like online presence, but anything that I'd seen anyone from there at the event, they were just, people were geeking out. Oh, the entire day was mostly excited people. So if you saw a little bit of excitement on on the air, just assume it was 50 times larger in the venue because it probably was. Word. Uh, all right. So back to, I kind of want to head back to Combo Breaker, though, because right. we really haven't talked details. Uh, like, it starts May 24th, for example. And yes, right now, what kind of registration are we in right now? Because there's, there's been levels to this. What's our tiers? We're currently in normal registration. We just ended our early bird. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to last for the majority of our open cycle now. Uh, I can grab the actual date for you here in a second because I have conveniently forgot it. But it's uh, going to be open now until April 2nd. From April 2nd through May 6th, we'll be in our late registration curve. Part of the difference between the two is in April, we have to start ordering badges and apparel and banners and all the print media that goes into the event. And that gets infinitely more expensive when you don't know what you need to order. Mm. How are you doing? You're doing late registration as well. Yep. have you announced whether or not you're doing day of get your badge at the door? We do have on-site registration and because I don't, we do, we do every year. And because I don't want you to use it, it starts at $120. So if you are going to be annoying enough to the registration (laughs) staff to come use that surface, you are going to pay an Apple level premium for that privilege. And if too many people use it this year, it's just going to keep getting more expensive until we get to a point where people stop using it. Because although there are some valid reasons to have it, and I agree with all of them, which is why we still do, I just really want to incentivize everyone to not use it, particularly when our late reg ends May 6th. It's only it's less than 20 days from the start of the event. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like if you don't know you're going to come by that point, I don't know how to help you. Yeah, at that point, like you're talking like airplane tickets cost more. Like you're paying a premium on that to begin with. It's like, I don't know. The airplane tickets, to be honest, are a big part of why we still have on-site reg because there are international players that show up that don't speak the language and didn't quite hmm. understand or have some local affinity to registration systems that are not what we normally use and. You never really want to say no to that guy. Right. Sometimes you do anyways. Uh, we weren't able to let Fudo play last year for similar reasons, unfortunately. But mm. it, it's what it is. Yeah, that would be unfortunate. But at the same, it's, you know, it's one of those things where I feel that historically the FGC in particular, I don't know if this is a thing just in general with people uh, being... Yeah, you know, putting things off to the last minute, but I feel like the fighting game community specifically has a penchant for putting things off to the very last minute. Like, I mean, you're talking, yes, to a degree that's true, but we're also a community that has, you know, just frame guarding. Sometimes putting stuff <laughs> off to the last possible frame is what we've 
been told we're supposed to do. Yeah, the the red parry of registration is you'll you'll pay a high price for that. <laughs> Particularly if you miss. Oh yeah, yeah, that's the. Yeah. Oh, that's that's actually too good of a that's too poignant, in fact. Uh, but no, that's cool. I I actually assumed that you might uh, do away with uh, on-site registration because some some events have have done away with it, and I think that. I mean, if I were running an event, I would. I'd probably lean that way personally. It it makes sense to to be prepared and and know how many people you're gonna have on site. Honestly, I think there will always come a point where different types of reg have ups and downs that don't level out. For now, we have been able to activate on-site registration in a way that I think has worked. I do think two years ago it was a bit of a struggle point and our our registration lines were significantly too long and it took way too, way, way too long to get into the venue, collect your stuff, actually get to where you're playing. We changed a bunch of the registration flow last year to kind of assuage that seemed to go away. So we're at a point right now where I think we can handle that responsibility and we can handle that workload. If and when we get to a point that we can't, it'll just get axed. So that's where we're at this year still though. All right, right on. Uh, I'm down for it. Uh, anything else about Combo Breaker that you would want to share before spinning off? So we haven't gotten to promote this aggressively, but it's actually the thing I'm most excited about. We, we spread out through the resort a little bit this year. So instead of just having the expo center and the ballroom that we've had in the past, we've got an additional ballroom space that's at the end of a mock bourbon street inside the resort. <gasps> And within that mock Bourbon Street, there is a ballroom that's normally dedicated to theater-style presentations and weddings. It has a second-story mezzanine, for instance. Okay. We're taking that entire ballroom and dedicating it to arcade and retro gaming under the pretense of what would the community look like aesthetically uh, in 2000. 12, let's say, when we started having a little bit of resources and enough attendees to kind of start doing cool presentations, but we weren't dealing with any of the modern games. What if that existed for Street Fighter 3? What if that existed for Marvel 2? Um, oh, we're going to play with that this year. So we're going to have a full stage treatment with the big screen, with, with the streams, with lights, with banners, but nothing in that room is going to be Street Fighter 4 or forward. Everything's just looking back. Oh, that's fascinating. And you're going to be playing on on the proper hardware, I assume? So the plan currently is everything's arcade. With that said, we've had people reach out to us about some of the games we're throwing, uh, Soul Calibur 2 specifically recently, where mm -hmm. they would prefer it to be on the console hardware. And for my purposes, I don't know if it actually being on the arcade hardware is as important to me as it just being an old game presented like it's a brand new game right or at least presented as we choose to present the current generation of games so there's a good chance soul caliber could pivot to dreamcast if that's what the community does rally behind i kind of expect that to happen to marvel 2 as well just because everybody will want to make sure their moss sticks are working mm -hmm. um no, but that, that makes sense to me at least with sc2 personally yeah but there, there's also the outside chance that everything is legitimately hardware, and we're very 
We're very privileged to be able to work with Paradise Arcade Shop, which is currently located in Minnesota and has a wealth of arcade games that they can bring down and has helped us network with a few other providers in the area to bring in some stuff. And I've got a working relationship history with Korakantu from the Yomacon series that's up in Detroit and always Mm -hmm. has that exquisite oversized arcade presentation. So there's some relationships there that come into play and yeah, Overall, a couple just... months ago, right? Yeah. Gosh, that feels like th- that. On- honestly, to me, that feels like it was yesterday. The way that time has passed is like bananas to me. Uh, but I did want to do a little plug there. Um, uh, nope, I lost my train of thought. Uh, back to <laughs> it, though. Uh, no, but like it's you're going to give that's actually fascinating. You're going to give like full window treatment as if things were new to the classic games. That's cool. That's the plan. And if all goes really well, uh, we'll even get to do some kind of cheesy, cool decorative stuff around it. Cause that, that fake bourbon street has a bunch of these large poster frames in it. Cause it's designed to feel like it's a street walkway with a bunch of advertising to the left and the right of you. We're going to try and track down key art from those old games. And oh, if we can't damn, get that, that so cool. I'm going to try and get, uh, if we can't get that in high enough resolution, which is very possible, I'm going to see if we can't partner with some of our artist alley artisans and have them recreate classic gaming content to put in there. Mm-hmm. Um, none of that is set in stone, but definitely some target goals we've got right now. Yeah, I feel like you're you're promising things right now that I, that's exciting, dude. Literally none of that's a promise. It's just a ton of stuff that I'm trying to make happen. No, it's a promise. You said it out loud into your microphone. So that's, that's pretty much contract. I don't know if you know that it's, it's 2019, dude. You say anything to the microphone. It's, it's basically a contract. I will. Joe, you spend, you spend a lot more time talking to the microphone than I do. That's probably more dangerous for you than it is me to have a hard truth. (laughs) Yeah, that that's honestly true because it's not like I edit these podcasts. This is just or or the weekly tournaments. That's those don't get edited. Uh, I, I'm hot mic'd all the time. But yeah, uh, so we've got that going on this year. Uh, obviously, we have some new games debuting for the first time this year. MK11 will be there. BB Tag is not one we run. Soul Calibur Six is not one we run. Smash Ultimate, I think, will be maybe the first time Combo Breaker has had a. A decent scale Smash Brothers tournament. I don't know for sure because we're we're sandwiched between some very very large, very interesting Smash tournaments uh, regionally. But more important than all of that, we're running Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles tournament fighters. That's the <laughs> yeah that that's that is always so. so it, you might have to explain the history of of this for people who might not know. Of hey Rick, why are you playing in such a weird old game? What's up with that? I love weird old games. So (laughs) as long as I have an event that is mine, there are two things that I can actually promise will always happen. I'm going to run a weird old game because it's just fun. And every now and again, we've got to do stuff in this community that's exclusively supposed to be fun. And something like Tournament (laughs) Fighters is going to be that (laughs) game. It's too broken to take super serious, but it's competitive enough to take serious. So it's just going to be stupid fun. It's going to be a good time. And then uh, I'm just laughing at the concept of just saying to this community, because mostly because I'm in agreement. Hey, we should have fun sometimes, you guys. (laughs) It's just being like, fuck. Well, it's Uh, it's a matter of fun, um, but it's also just 
a moment to be celebratory. So like last year we ran Mortal Kombat 9 because that was one of the games that was most important to me as a new community member and got to treat it to a scale spectacle that really wasn't available for it in 2010. Hmm. Um, And stuff like that is interesting to me. It's cool to have those callbacks. It's cool to have those memory lane moments. It's the same as there's a, there, there's a real opportunity this year that Killer Instinct will not be one of the top 10 registered games at my event as it's just not as well-traveled for as some of the other titles that we're running. And at the same time, I can still present that game to the level that I would like it to be presented to because it's my event. And although my partners will scoff and complain about some of the things that I do just to do them, I can get away with that every now and again. And so... It's that the things that game. are important to you that make the event specifically an event that you, if like, I get it. I get it. Look, if we're going to do things that take up this much time and make so little money, there's got to be some moments during the weekend <laughs> that are soul fulfilling. Uh, yeah, that is, that is one of the things that I feel like I have this conversation with someone at least once a month or and I, I don't know if you probably definitely have this conversation almost weekly. Uh, someone might approach you and say, hey, what's like the best way to to like run an event or or do something and, and like really boost as much engagement, really get as much out of it? Like, like what are the finances here? And, and then just laughing in their face. So I think I think an important takeaway is financially we're not as bad as we used to be. It used to be that if you do anything in this community, you're losing money. And we're now at least to a point where there's lots of events that break even or make a dinner or two. And that's great. And we've got a few events that can make a little bit of money. And there's some international spectacles that actually make enough money to pay out all their staff. And even if that's not the amount of money necessary for the amount of effort and time that that staff is giving, that's steps towards improvement. And we're getting to a point where we've got some on-air talent where this is their full-time job. We've got some players where this is their it's their full-time job. Um, activations on the FGC helped me get my full-time job. So I can't I can't pretend that no one ever does okay. What I think is unfortunately the realistic truth of the community is the amount of involvement that goes into it socially, culturally, economically doesn't pay back in scale. And that's I think the bigger struggle point we get to it's, it's part of why um, I I don't want to say mid tier events, but middle sized events have such a increased difficulty in attracting partnerships because everybody's chasing the same 10 companies, which means it's always a metrics hunt. Mm. And if you're in a metrics hunt, you don't win in the same way that if you ask me professionally, uh, is it more cost effective to do, combo breaker than Evo. Well, if you're trying to get seen, you should probably do Evo. So you have to come up with different engagement points and yeah, let's actually, let's actually dig in there. That's something that I wanted to bring up and talk about you with specifically, because I feel like you have a lot of experience in this field, but pitch decks and where money could potentially come into your community. Cause let's say that I am running a mid tier or like small to mid tier event something that isn't getting like global recognition perhaps, but is getting certainly regional recognition. Like who am I pulling to? Like what's my, what's my pitch? What's my, what's my deck look like? So I think there's, 
there's the usual entry points of what does my attendance look like? What does my potential viewership look like? What does my output and reach present as, particularly on local reach, not just I make a Facebook post, how many likes do I get kind of stuff. Where I think we often run into struggles is everybody tries to go and find that international partner that gives them a sense of approval and recognition because it's cool to say I have X brand involved with my event. Mm-hmm. And X brand might bring more money conceptually than some brand nobody's ever heard of. With that said, though, a lot of the times I think local level partnerships are what make a difference. Um, The first combo breaker back in 2015, for instance, coming off of the last Ultimate Fighting Game tournament, we'd had lots of power problems in the venue that we were working with. And... Mm -hmm. Part of that was it was just dirty power, and we couldn't get that power regulated. So we wound up talking to a company called CyberPower, which was local to Minnesota, where I had uh, met an employee that worked there, and we talked a lot through problems. And we kind of told the story of what our community was facing in the wave of that venue and the power situations that came with it. And that brand was looking for new ways to get out into a market that no one ever thinks of. Because when you go and you buy a power strip at Walmart or Target or something, you just walk in the aisle, find the one that's on sale and leave. Mm -hmm. Very few people are going to be like, yeah, that brand is the power strip for me. But these guys saw our event and realized, okay, video game players buy power strips. They need to plug in more things than their two socket wall outlets really going to let them do. And they need a power strip that does power regulation if they're in a venue like this. So let's give them the tools and the resources that they need to have better power distribution and regulation in their venue space, which I'm still to this day thankful they did. It made a difference. And then they also chose to advertise with us under the pretense that they could build up some brand equity with some players and some fans. And did that blow up for them and become a, a home run win? It's hard to say, but I also know that even two years later, we had guys like uh, BG Callisto, who every now and again would talk about the fact it was thunderstorming outside his apartment and his power went out, but here he is still tweeting on the internet because his cyber power battery backup is up and running and giving him juice. Yeah, no, that like, I think that that is perfect. That is like a perfect, uh, I guess, mid-level example of of what kind of sponsors you can go after. Um, because I think that you've spun it, you've spun out this conversation in a way that is leading to where I actually want to go, which is like low level sponsorships. What if, what if I'm only pulling like 50 people max? So the two best sponsors I ever had on a local level were a comic book store who sold some Street Fighter comic books and some card games. We found some overlap between the two. Mm -hmm. Uh, Eventually, we started, I think, at 16, 17 attendees there. We got up closer to 70, and once we broke 35, he stopped charging us for the space because we brought in enough people on a weekend that they'd buy enough, you know, potato chips and $3 trade rags and whatnot to validate our usage of their environment. and then a couple local pizza shops. One of the things I tell a lot of people when they start up their local tournaments because they're looking for support and resources is whatever worked for your local softball team, whatever's working for your local yeah. t-ball and kickball teams, uh, those other sports have the same case 
problem. They're going to have high school level, college level, intermediate levels, pro levels, um, kids t-ball kind of levels. And all of those levels deserve support and need support to be functional. And usually what you find is people that have been engaged with it at some level through their personal history and, and want to give back. And if you can network with those kinds of individuals, you can usually find resource support. I was over in Europe for Tekken World Tour Finals uh, just last month, and we needed monitor support because even at an event of that scale, you still need outside support usually to achieve your goals at scale because nobody really wants to spend money, and that doesn't change no matter what business you're in, in my opinion. Well, you don't want to um, spend money and then have the overhead of, oh, fuck, now I own 10 BenQs. What the fuck am I doing with my life? This is why Gaming Generations is my favorite company in America, but we'll circle back to that. But there's a this guy named Virgil that was overseas and he works at BenQ and he's a huge fighting game fan. And I got introduced to him through a connection that I ran into at VS Fighting. And all of a sudden, through those through that connectivity, uh, BenQ Zowie is assisting with monitors at Tekken World Tour Finals. And I think that's a win for them. It was a great win for us. <laughs> that same theory works all the way down to your local level. And it's why a lot of the times I tell people to start looking at their YMCA's, to look at their community centers. There's probably a VFW that has a Wednesday afternoon or evening that's not being fully utilized that would actually love to have you around, particularly if you know somebody that's regularly in that VNW that likes video games. And as the culture gets older, mm -hmm more and more people are going to be in those positions with a personal history with video games. Um, we're not in a situation where 15 years ago when you went and tried to find a 40-year-old guy who is owning and operating a business or tied into a business that you're trying to work with has no experience with Street Fighter. Now, pretty frequently, you can find a 40-year-old guy at a business who has some connectivity to Street right. Fighter or, if you're lucky, was a Street Fighter player and if you're really lucky, is still a Street Fighter player. <laughs> yeah, it's so ubiquitous now that at least that cultural touchstone will be there. You're not going to go to your local pizza shop and say, hey, I would like to run in some Mortal Kombat locals. And then say, that's the devil's game. <laughs> well, I mean, Tipper Gore notwithstanding. Um, <laughs> By the way, thank, thank you for the Tipper Gore poll. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> I appreciate well, that. I figured you and I aren't 16, so it works. <laughs> yeah. Hey, kids, let me tell you about politics. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, but no, that's something that you can do. And this is something that I've been saying for at least as long as I've had a platform to say it, is that local shops, local places are where you want to go. Like if they're able to support like children's baseball or like basketball intramurals then they can support a local oh yeah i mean the scene i grew up in coming from <laughs> grew up in oh niner uh existed because there was a retro GameStop in a mall where the manager really wanted to do tournament related stuff and the owner got emotionally invested and let us run wild over their shops at one point three nights a week which we think of that as a good thing, and I know from a practical standpoint, can't have been good for his business, to be honest. 
yeah. we weren't buying anything. And if we were buying something, it was one fighting game and a stick. And then we were done for years. So that that type of relationship is incredibly valuable. And cultivating that type of relationship, I think, is super important mm -hmm. and is often overlooked. The other thing that I think happens a lot is a lot of people don't feel comfortable with the starting points of kind of kicking off a tournament. My area doesn't have people that play. We don't have a spot. I don't know what to do. Find someone that likes fighting games and the two of you can figure out a, an apartment complex party room to rent out for six hours. And that just becomes your locale. Mm -hmm. And that's probably an okay location up until 16 people. And at 16 people, you can go start talking to outside locations that look more public and approachable and build out a tournament there. Or you can find, maybe you can find somebody like me who was as foolish as I was back home. I had a, I had an oversized garage at a house I was living in. And so we used to throw a garage cade, which was really great until we had 60 people in only one bathroom. But You're those not making type those things invite only, what are you doing? How, how big a garage? It's two, like two car park. What are we talking about? Three car. It was a two car. It was a two car garage that had an extra six feet behind where the cars would normally stop. So it was like two and a quarter. You couldn't put another car in it, <laughs> but it had enough space for a workbench. So we took out the workbench, put in some folding tables, and just put a bunch of setups in there. And then we'd let it spill out into the driveway. We'd set up some grills, get some coolers out, oh, make it kind actually, of a mm, that's red actually. Make it kind of a yard sale party, and then once winter would hit because it's Minnesota and winter's winter, um, real winter. We'd, uh, we got some space heaters out there and we at one point installed an industrial one. So it'd be mid November and 20 degrees and we'd still have eight to 10 setups in a garage just whiling out for an entire day. Talking about like the ones that, uh, that have that like umbrella up top that you would see outside of a bar, people smoking cigarettes under. The, no, no, no. I mean the full box heaters where you had to have an exhaust pipe go up into the roof. Oh, <laughs> oh okay. And, like we went in. And it, and it was great though because that to me to this day is the piece of the community that I value the most. We'd have, mm. again, you got eight to ten setups up. We'd always have three to four games going. We had this giant old, it wasn't a CRT. It was a rear projection television. It was like 70 inches that we got at a... At a um, goodwill that the thing must have weighed as much yeah. as a car like we just couldn't move it once we set it in the garage it stayed there till the day i moved <laughs> yeah the colors when you did quite... move it you probably broke it up into pieces oh it, absolutely it fell off the back side of a truck um <laughs> it, it, it wasn't even really in great condition when we got it but it it was great because it was this huge screen on the other side of the room and it had an s video cable so we could get it hooked up to a computer and we'd just turn on old spooky streams and some of the earlier Wednesday night fights. And so we'd be playing our games over here. You'd have uh, the rest of the country's content spinning up on the TV. There was a whole bunch of days where you'd have guys playing games behind you. We had these couches that we, I don't remember what street corner we picked them up on, but we got some couches that probably weren't safe to have. And we're talking about college town couches. We, oh we Yeah. <laughs> Man, the kind of couch. By the way, it, I I need to spin off this conversation for just just a second, uh, because when I moved out, uh, she wasn't even my fiance at the time, but my my wife now. Whenever she moved out of her her apartment in college, she lived on the second floor, and we had to get a couch out of it, 
and it was one that we didn't care about destroying because it was it was like on the the porch and her landlord was a real dirtbag piece of shit and was like if you leave anything there i'm going to charge you for it and it's like this is just like furniture that i could leave for someone i could even talk to the person they said they were okay with it and he was like nope i'm going to charge you for it so we're like all right whatever fucking dickhead so second second story but on it was high up too because it was it was like the road was down below but it was kind of like a hill a little bit where the sidewalk was and there was like two or three trees down there so me and her dad are like you know what we could probably just flip this thing over this railing and it'll bounce down that hillside and it'll get caught in those trees there's enough trees it's a big old couch before it hits the road i mean the sidewalk's only like six feet wide but we're like no way are we going to land it on there. So we flip it over and it somehow threads the needle. Like it goes vertical and splits the uprights and lands like directly flat center in the road. (laughs) We were like, uh, we were both not looking for cars at the time, which in retrospect was not a good idea. (laughs) That could have ended real badly. Oh yeah. No, we, we totally could have flipped a a car, a a couch directly on top of, uh, of the hood of someone's car that, that could have happened. There were no people walking the sidewalk. We were checking for that, but we were not watching the road. Uh, and it just, it was like right in the center of this, uh, this intersection. Cause it was like it, how her apartment was. It was like, man, one in a million shot could not have tossed that couch with more accuracy. Honestly, I can definitely say the one time that I've been involved in launching a couch out a window, it didn't go anywhere near that well. <laughs> Uh, it never does, but it's somewhat satisfying. Um, and also, like, no, no, never mind. Not going to spin off into. I was going to talk about like destroying old, old, old furniture, but we can't get into it. I can't start talking about the satisfaction of of throwing a baseball bat into a CRT. I can't do that right now. I really appreciate. CRT. I really, really appreciate that every time you decide not to go on a tangent, you go on a tangent about how you shouldn't go on the tangent to loosely throw in what you wanted to talk about on the tangent before circling back. Just I I, kudos on that self control. I just I I can't not mention it. Or I I kind of <laughs> do have to talk about this tangent because it was so buck wild. Uh, so CRTs. There was this old. I don't. It was not an arcade. Uh, but for whatever reason, uh, I work in demolitions and part of demolitions sometimes we need to tear down buildings. It's, we, I mostly work in bridges, but sometimes it's, there's houses that are close to it that the state owns and they're like, I don't know, just get rid of this house. So we walk into this basement of the house and it was almost as if you couldn't like step anywhere without stepping over a CRT. Like they were just, they were littered, like not in cabinets or anything. There were some cabinets there and they were old, like not anything in particular kind of cabinet. I have no idea what they could have been for, but then just strewn about in this huge basement, just filled with them. So I look over to my boss at the time and I'm like, you know, we have to go grab a a crowbar and smash all these, right? before the excavators come here just like dig it out because it was just going to be trash anyway they, they weren't useful crts the you know somewhere somewhere blur is listening to this and crying right now <laughs> oh fuck what as you explain this field of crts <laughs> that you negan <laughs> no seriously but like that that pop 
of a CRT when you, ah, it's so good. It was just it, like, it, we smashed it until we got tired, basically. Like, it was like, well, I've smashed as many as I can smash today. All right, bring in the excavator. We're, we're done I, here. I take it back. He's not even crying. He's just curled up in a ball in a fetal position in an ocean of his own sadness. You know, someone could have played Marvel on that, right? No, because specifically, no. And I looked at this because all the copper was pulled out the back of him. So, like, it was it was never going to be a thing that you could. I don't know. Maybe you could repair him. I don't know. They all. All right, that, that's a little bit better. Now, I didn't know the copper was gone. I'm not. Uh, I had I had a mental image of just hundreds of CRTs with all these games on them and just walking through in a post-apocalyptic future way, just cheerily smiling in this dystopia of wrecked electronics. Yeah, it was like Mad Max, like, but with CRTs. <laughs> and just, man, there was so much glass in that basement. Oh, my God. Anyway, I died. I I had to get that one. I'm sorry. I had to it's get all that right. one out. It's your show, Joe. <laughs> Holding that one in. Had to get that one out. Uh, but back to other other topics. What, what the fuck were we even talking about? Uh, running locals <laughs> and yeah. so something that you brought up that I think is important for, for people just to put things into perspective, something that I latched on to what you said was that, so you are this person who go is you've traveled the world. You are all over the world at the, the biggest events. You are playing some role in, in running these events. It's, it's like the, you're at the, near the top of your game in terms of, of running events. But even that, even at that level, you still look so fondly on, man, what if it was just like a dozen of my friends hanging out, drinking beer in a garage? Look, uh, uh, there's nothing in the community I think is more valuable than camaraderie. I don't necessarily care if it's because you found friendship or rivals. Mm -hmm. The, the glue that keeps everyone together is the ability to sit around and play the games and love the games and love the experiences that comes from the games. And we get great moments of that at events. You get extreme situations, good and bad, that kind of coalesce everyone together for long, long periods of time well after the event ends. Mm -hmm. But those small experiences are the best. And even at events, they can be the best. One of the reasons CB has a 24-hour menu is I love the big stage show. I love the tournament. I love the bracket runners keeping stuff on time and all these little pieces of throwing an event that personally satisfy me. The best part of my event is at two in the morning when there's 500 people who are too tired to actually still be fully engaged with what they're doing, grinding out matches. Right. Um, and the nice part is I see that with all levels of competitors. I have hmm. people who have never come to the event before and spend the first entire day scared to ask for casuals. And by Saturday at one in the morning are too sleep deprived and hungry and probably drunk to care anymore. And all of a sudden they're sitting next down playing a first to five with Bonchan. And that's to me, the actual joy in running a lot of the events we have. Cause at that point, that's the local level experience just in a much, much bigger space. And that's the experience you're going to go home to. Nobody leaves CEO and goes back to their local and has top eight in a wrestling ring with Kenny Omega somewhere in a corner giggling. But they do have the experience of sitting down and grinding out matches and figuring out what's good, figuring out what's bad, recognizing they suck, deciding how to deal with that knowledge, hopefully fixing whatever they were struggling with. Those pieces exist 
at all scales. Mm-hmm. And I mean, with any game, I feel like that's important too. It it doesn't have to be the most popular game at the time. It could just be the one that you are enjoying the most. Oh, absolutely. I mean, learning a fighting game is learning a language. Mm-hmm. You pick what language you're going to learn when you f- decide on what game you're investing most of your time into, but there's value in learning all of them. There are relationships between all of them because there are Genesis points that have led us to all the different franchises that we're playing now. Mm-hmm. And everyone shares that relationship. And as long as that's true, we can usually find common ground of, okay, sit down, press buttons. We're the same type of person for at least 99 seconds. Yeah. There is, there's a transferable skill there. Uh, I think everyone can, can get a piece of even uh, I've, I've said this before on this show, like my wife, I've had this example. My wife doesn't really play fighting games, but she'll play dive kick. And we've had that experience with dive kick of like, well, here's the spacing here. And you have to, you have to backdash to get out of range. It's did you just say you backdash and dive kick? Yeah. You, you kick on the ground and you backdash. Create it's space. not a backdash. That's what a ground kick. A, oh, I'm ground. sorry. It's a, a ground kick. <laughs> What talking about the tech? She's a Dr. Scholl's main. What can I say? <laughs> uh, that's a fact. Uh, but uh, like having that experience with someone who doesn't necessarily have the the interest in, in getting into big fighting games, but she loves that game. I love that game. I can say nothing bad about Dive Kick. I've played more Dive Kick than I can even actually remember at this point. <laughs> All right, welcome to uh, RSF Dive Kick. Uh, it's a podcast where we talk about the ins and outs of of Dive Kick years after its release. Uncle um, Sensei for the win. <laughs> Fraud detection coming up. Uh, all right, well, uh, okay. So that before we spin off again, is there anything else about Combo Breaker that you want to bring up? Something that we haven't talked about that you want to dig into to really get the information out there? Most of the time, what I like to do is just point people at combobreaker.org. We mm-hmm. throw out a announcement article every year that covers what we think are the notable points. And as the event director, the things that excite me the most are not always what I think will excite the attendees the most. Like this year, I'm really, really looking forward to working on the pop-up shop because I love working on merchandise and it's a mm-hmm. good opportunity to do so. I'm really excited about the fact that for the first time ever, we're running a Mr. Game tournament that has a 256-player bracket cap instead of 128 because it's requiring a bunch of people who really love Mystery Game and organizing Mr. Game tournaments to work together. And I'm very interested in the culmination of that effort. Um, I'm really excited that that Days of Future Past arcade room that we talked about is going to have the two old Two Furious guys helping run Super Turbo and some of the retro games that they not only keep alive to an extent, but push mm-hmm. on aggressively every year. Yeah. Um, like, like I, along with that, I feel like the, the ST Revival people do a great job of that, honestly. I absolutely think they do. And then beyond that, I, I look forward a lot to little things that, are satisfying to me like the volunteer meeting and actually talking about how Hmm. bracket running works and some of the things that the team at combo breaker has learned over the years that we try to pass on and give knowledge through and make an engaging experience um last year for instance uh gutex of all people showed up to combo breaker and 
offered to be part of our volunteer crew and showed up to that meeting and fully engaged with it for the entire hour and then was on site for the rest of the weekend running brackets, which the the best part of that for me was watching a bunch of people who were fans of Ryan and his output over the multitude of years since Excellent Adventure started geeking out a little bit at him running their bracket and him realizing that mm-hmm. and then talking about that experience after the event. I look forward to a lot of that stuff at this point, um, much more than I look forward to just going, here's the event and all the cool stuff, come show up. I think almost all of our events have cool stuff worth showing up for. I appreciate people that show up to the ones that I'm involved with and believe in that vision, but I don't think we're doing that much different than a lot of our peer category. (laughs) We've just been dialing it in, I guess. And I think everyone's working to dial it in. And so go to whatever's near you. Absolutely go to whatever's down the street from you. And if you get the opportunity, come chill with us at CB because we're going to do as much as we can in three days to celebrate fighting games. And if you like fighting games, let's celebrate it together. No, I'm with you on that. Uh, That's awesome. And that's a good message. I actually didn't know that, that Ryan did that. Uh, I might Next time he's on this show, I might have to talk to him about that. That's actually kind of fascinating. Um, he's a very interesting guy. Yeah, I've, especially in like the last couple of years, he's made some some fucking decisions, like capital D decisions that I am, I'm kind of all for. Whatever he wants to go and do, I'm I'm behind it because he's got a plan. I don't know if that plan's gonna work or pay off. It might. Like for example, he was the only person that I knew uh, was talking about the world poker tour and esports arena merger when it was happening he was like the only person that was like watching it live and talking about it uh as far as as i knew but uh, we don't have to talk about that on on this show again we've talked about that enough in the past unless there's something that you want to point out about something that stood out to you i think that acquisition is interesting like ryan i think it's a cool thing to keep our eyes on where it could go and what it could mean are all entertaining and in a hypothetical what if zone right now so i'm just being patient and seeing what happens all right uh one other thing that i wanted to bring up and touch upon is something a while back uh that has since been mostly managed or at least managed to the point where i don't think most people need to worry about it but a while back dragon ball fighters was being banned at certain tournaments um then Harada stepped in and said, hey, I'm going to be talking to, to all these events and make sure that we can get this game at our events. Um, and there were some people in the community saying, well, I mean, they're going after grassroots events maybe. Is this what esports is? Are they going to – am I going to get a phone call? We don't know. Um, but do you have any insight in that perhaps? I definitely saw a lot of that, and there has been a ton of concern. I've been part of a whole bunch of conversations from a bunch of TOs that got spooked by all of that. But when I when I look at the hundreds of Dragon Ball events that have happened since the game launched, mm-hmm. we've lost four. We've lost the body count fighting exhibitions, which if I look at that objectively, this is a showcase presentation that's owned and operated by machinima who are owned and operated by wb and so there's probably a whole bunch of relationship red tape there that just blew up right we 
we got people that were worried over DreamHack, but before and after DreamHack Atlanta, DreamHack has been running Dragon Ball tournaments. So there's probably something specific to that event in that location that weekend that just didn't work on the back end. And DreamHack's an international company, so I'm sure they got that figured out. We've got uh, Evo Japan, which I know has had struggles with Super Smash Brothers as well. So there's definitely some kind of red tape there that got in the way. And I think that the only other ones issues with licensing, not probably. not even Bandai Namco related, but probably. And then there's Anime Ascension, but I can't I can't for the life of me figure out what happened there. And of the people in the industry that I've talked to. Nobody seems to know what happened there. So I'm not, I don't know if they got pulled or if they just chose not to run Dragon Ball or what, because they have their one tweet and then no one has talked about it anywhere officially. Right. Um, which but is if, still, by the way, a lot of good games at Anime Ascension, which, like, if you like any of them, it'll be just fine. I'm not fine. too worried about that. It'll be that. a great event, I'm sure. But I know that I've definitely talked to some of the esports operatives over at Bandai Namco and they've reassured me that the grassroots community is safe to be running its tournaments because it's a fighting game that's been built for fighting game players. So they can't suddenly stop having fighting game players have places to play the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely think that game has more red tape and consideration points than anything else on the market. But until we get into some widespread situation where that game is not showing up at tournaments every weekend, I don't know if we got to stress that one too hard yet. I was going to say, well, I mean, there's also like Marvel Infinite, but then I was like, mm, that's not a real answer in, in 2019, <laughs> unfortunately. I don't know um, if it's not. It's still a game to play. That That is like the unfortunate part, is that that is a fun game to play, and just the support dropped out, man. Too much, too much going on behind the scenes, I'm sure. I think... Anytime that our community decides that a game lives or dies by corporate level support, we're making a mistake. And I think I think I feel that way more directly than a lot just because I have an event that does celebrate some of the older games in the community and sees strong turnout from them. Mm-hmm. Um, but on top of that, I look at something like Cooperation Cup that has never had the level of corporate back-end seal of approval style support that we seem to crave nowadays but has the kind of output and attendance and recognition level that that seal of approval doesn't even offer right well they did get some money this year from red bull yeah, I, I think there's and that's huge fine. Chunks. It's fine for them to. I think that it hit good on them for for going after that kind of money and good on Red Bull for supporting such a good event. Um, and nothing really is in the way of Cooperation Cup. It's kind of its own separate entity, honestly. It, it's the, yeah. the start of the year for me personally. But honestly, I'll take a bunch of partnered events in that capacity yes. with Red Bull than I will some of the tour events that leave. And I've felt this even personally back when the tours started, but the tours cannot serve the community at large in its entirety. We have too many events, too many regions, too many player hubs, and there's always going to be limited weekends, limited budget, limit, 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 limit. And so there's a component of the tours that as an organizer, I believe to be demotivating if you're not one of the selected entities. And I hate that about them. Yeah. Um, And I think that's a huge problem because 
the criteria, particularly as somebody involved with tour creation now, the criteria is mobile. It is ever-changing. You can have an event that's well-suited to be a tour event in 2017 that isn't in 2018, and the only difference could be that we needed to show love to a different area of the country because we hadn't yet. And honestly, that should probably happen more. Mm -hmm. We should see these events kind of move around a little bit so we don't wind up locked into the same five every year. Yeah, I should also say at the at the time of recording of this podcast, uh, there is no there has been no announcements of the 2019 CPT. Um, nothing has been made official or public. I don't know if you know anything involved of of what premieres there will be, if anything's being added or taken away or any points distributions. I'm not going to ask that of you. You're uh, welcome to ask because I can truthfully say I, I don't. Okay, it's, good. it's a product produced and managed by Capcom internally. Um, I'm sure community members somewhere are consulting on it because they've been decent about that in the past. Right. Um, but, but yeah, So like, I don't you know. haven't even been... Well, let me ask you that. Let me pry a little harder. Combo Breaker hasn't been approached to be a premiere for for the 2019 season. We have not had a what's the right way to say this? We have not had a discussion that solidifies a tour involvement standpoint. Um, Am you I? You haven't said it out loud in in a, into a microphone yet, so that so it's not legal yet, obviously, because that's how legalities work in 2019. Everybody knows I mean, this. Have I talked to Capcom about the fact that I would like CB to be part of their tour? Absolutely. Have I talked to people at Capcom who have uh, voiced a desire for CB to be included because they thought we had a, a cool show last year and the, the Cody moment went great and things of that nature? Mm-hmm. Sure. Have we had a, hey, this is Capcom Pro Tour 2019. Here's your involvement in it. Let's go. No. And until that happens, there's unfortunately just nothing to say. Right. And I don't know, I have, I have high hopes for 2019. I, I hope that, I don't know. It's one of those I things where Fighter I don't, well, uh, well, I'm sorry, what were you going to say? I think Street Fighter V is in the best place it has been maybe since launch. So mm-hmm. I'm really, really interested in what the rest of the year looks like. And the other good thing about that is that and this is kind of just community wide, but right now there's a whole lot of really good games to support any kind of tournament you want to run in any region. Uh, it doesn't have to be a premier event, um, but you know, if you have a ranking event, let's say, you might get more attendance for other games, and that's good, honestly. Oh, I mean, a big thing that I think gets lost in the mix as our community continues to grow is we look at ranking events and go, cool, ranking events. Ranking events in 2019 are often tournaments that are larger than what premier events used to be. Oh yeah, we have premier events that are starting to approach what Evo was, and it doesn't mean that they're scalable and appropriate. And like Evo is still three to five times larger than CEO in terms of attendance in every possible way, and their viewership metrics are on a completely different planet. But Evo in 2010 is not that divergent in scale. And as everything keeps pushing up and pushing forward, I think that's something that we have to keep conscious of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that there's, there's just more space to play for 
like I don't even want to say smaller events because like honestly they're not small events anymore. Like you said, like these ranking events are kind of big. It's kind of huge. The, we have lo- uh, we have locals now that are 128 plus players in, in parts of the country. Yeah, 128 plus players was a target goal for the Ultimate Fighting Game Tournament back when it was considered a major in the Midwest region. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, uh, I don't think I've said this out loud today, but shouts to the Midwest. I think that community often gets overlooked for its players, and it fucking shouldn't. Honestly, I don't know why it does. I think there are great players in almost every region of the planet now. I think a lot of regions have not developed the promotional infrastructure of the hotbeds in the East and the West coast. And I don't hold that against them. I think the way that chunks of the community does, I used to, I had that chip on my shoulder so large that there was an event in the planet that I would even pretend was in the league of the ultimate fighting game tournament. Cause I was sitting around going, you know what, what Keats built was the best Midwest is the best. Everybody else not. Okay. Here's a joke about it from main stage. Let's go. And I've definitely grown out of that to be honest, but that idea I think is also part of what keeps that east west coast competition alive what keeps that legacy present the fact that many of the key figures from both of those communities from 2005 onward are still key figures in the community today helps keep that recognition level divergent Mm -hmm. but i also think that one of the best stream teams in the country is BJ Callisto and Black Rose, and they're both Midwest guys coming out strong for a bunch of events worldwide now. Mm-hmm. Um, there are players in the Midwest that have started to see some recognition and some uh, support, both as tournament competitors, but also just as personalities. There are. Which I think great- is like a, a very good avenue for people to pursue, honestly. Like if they're trying to make headway into the community and like make a I don't want to say living yet but like make waves I think we do not have enough consistent high level content creators in our community we have a lot of people who tell me dip their toe into the idea or go full tilt but there's a huge highway in between those two things that is not overloaded with vehicles and this is something that is I've been griping about for years because it's like at least in in the Street Fighter community I've seen I've seen where things were in terms of content creation I've seen huge droughts like for the last I want to say like two not for the last but two years ago in terms of consistent production of fighting game content like capital C like this is good watchable like digestible content did not like not there was a little bit of but like practically didn't exist I don't know if we actually have less content now than we used to I think we have well not not currently but I was like two years ago let's say because I can remember back in like the Street Fighter Four days, it felt like every every week there was there was at least something for us to bite onto, you know, a vernacular that we all shared. So uh, I think that was actually because we had less content. 
And because we had less content, what was good content or what was communally decided to be good content was must-watch content. I think we have so much content now that the idea of what is the must-watch content has not only decayed, it's not present. I have things that I think is must-watch content in the community, particularly in Street Fighter. I think Jibbo's content is absolutely grade A, watch it all the time. Um, but I also know that from his viewership and his growth curve that the entirety of the community doesn't agree with me more and more seem to agree with that idea month to month and watching his recent growth, but it's not this. Yeah, that's must watch. And even some of the stuff that used to be must watch. I know we talked about Kutex earlier. Excellent adventures is not the show. Now we don't have a Capcom pro talk that we rally around. Some of the weekend tournament culture has dissipated a little bit, even though there's more events. Because we don't all tune into Team Spooky on a Saturday, Sunday, and then talk about it for the rest of the week. The only true content that has stayed consistent is that Blow Up Tuesday exists. Oh, fuck. God damn it. Are you going to have this conversation? It's not a conversation. It's an objective truth. It is is always a Tuesday. It is always a Tuesday. And it feels like Blow Up Tuesday is happening more frequently than than ever. It's like there's two Tuesdays a week, honestly. No, I I think it's that Blow Up Tuesday carries farther, and it carries farther and lasts longer because the community is significantly larger than it ever was. Uh, It's one of the reasons why I look at things where every now and again I'll catch a tweet about this game's declining or this game's not doing as well or that game's dead. And I look at the metrics across most of those games and it's like, yeah, every single one of these is bigger than last year. Yeah. Uh, so Street Fighter's dying with more players, more viewership, and more content. Yep, sure. That's that's the definition of death. Yo, you're doing good with that one. Death um, bad, man. And Swan so, song. It's coming up 2019. You heard it here <laughs> first, folks. This is it. This is it. Yeah, but that's that's kind of thing. It's it's even even some of the shows like Best of Five and Ultra Chen are more consistent than I think they've been in a long time. Mm-hmm. Best of Five in and of itself is actually just a really great program that is just one step of support away from i think being one of the programs it's got a good yeah collective of arguable opinions every week and that's all a talk show kind of needs i feel um, like they could use a couple hundred dollars every week or month and they'd well, be in a good position i think that's true but i think that's also something that as a community we have to adapt to the idea that High-level content that we want is something we pay for. Part of why Excellent Adventures used to be as good as it was is that show was behind a paywall. And for a long time, that paywall and that ad support and that promotional advertising leverage that sometimes it didn't feel great. And uh, I, I mean, there was that whole week where the, that collective was selling us rolled-out beds. But at the same time, that type of interaction paid for a bunch of the content that we actually wanted to consume. Mm -hmm. And so we're in a spot now where we view advertising as bad and that's fine, but we also don't want to pay for the content we consume and that's less fine. And with those two things being arguably true opinions, we also still want all of the content that we have to exist in triplicate and be better and be higher production value and be more consistent and be more, 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 more. 
And at some point, there's a break in that. Even this podcast, this is enjoyable right now. It's cool talking to you. Um, I've enjoyed listening to them. At some point, I assume your passion runs out and there's got to be some kind of emotional or financial pull through to get you back to being passionate. So this content continues. Uh, my passion died in 2017. I've been a, a zombie of passion. And for the last two years, you didn't know. <laughs> that explains the radio voice. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just this dead pan every week because dead inside. That's the that's the trick. Uh, no, I, I think I see where you're, I understand what you're saying. And I think I'm in agreement in a lot of ways. Um, I think especially because there is such a wide berth of so many people trying to do something, but I also feel like there's not a whole lot of people who have found the niche. There's not like niches aren't being filled. It almost feels, feels like. Yeah, I would definitely agree that we don't have people that have necessarily found their moment and from that moment found their primary output. And that's something that will have to happen to get the quality and regularity of content that our community is demanding. Or if we're not demanding, needs to kind of perpetually break through and onboard new people. Because we always have to have content to point new players to so they can stay engaged. Because this, this fandom and even the culture around it in some places exists via a video game on a screen. That's not something that we can always touch and feel and interact with. So we have to get connected to other people or have enough money to be aggressively involved in lots of consumer products. So we can just become that uh, comic book fan cliche where every single square inch of a home is filled with product. Yeah. Maybe one day. Maybe one day on this back wall, I'll just have a big old Pepsi logo. Drink. You Pepsi absolutely foods. won't. It's just going to be this giant Geef Gym cover. <laughs> when we're no, on. I can't be my own goddamn 47. sponsor. That's not how this works. <laughs> the best sponsor in the world is your own job. Are you kidding me? Yeah, maybe. What's more reliable than you? Ugh, I, I both agree with and resent that statement. Because, like, there have been too many times where it's like I've relied on, I'm like, hey, can I get a little, and then just the support's not there. Uh, so you have to do it for yourself and stay up till 1 a.m. Every, every night doing work that is not your actual job work for stuff that you're otherwise not actually getting paid for uh, or seeing a lot of return on financially, but you do it because you love it. Welcome to the FGC, folks. Love um, is its own reward in a lot of ways. You got to pay for love. Eventually it goes away. Oh, uh, I, I don't know if that's sad or beautiful, honestly. Uh, it's both. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that that might be a good cap for, for the conversation. Uh, is there anything else that you would want to bring up before we uh, sunset this episode? It is Almost February of 2019, which means our entire year's worth of tournaments are about to launch and kind of begin that ongoing pipe dream of we're going to be bigger, better, and beautiful. A big part of that dream becoming reality everywhere in the world is people deciding they want to attend and committing to do so as early as they can. Mm -hmm. Event budgets are built by registration, particularly in our community. Even our ability to go and attract advertising partners yes. is often tied to how many people our event can prove it attracts. 
if you truly have an interest in the community growing from a cultural and a visibility standpoint, your dollars matter. Your dollars at events matter. And events get your dollars because you've chosen to register. The events that want to do cool things with your money need that money earlier than later so that they can do those cool things affordably. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't matter if it's just printing a flyer to help show that that event exists so that more people are aware of it all the way up to and through Jabali having to book some wrestler from Japan. Cause let me tell you when he's got to book that guy two weeks before the event, that's a lot more expensive than two months out. Yeah. I, I would also tack on to that. Uh, make sure you're watching someone's content from their source. Uh, because that is also another way for people to attract sponsors. Um, specifically what I'm talking about is like people who rip streams and re-upload and you say, well, the highlights there, it's available. And it's the, it's only hours after the tournament. Why wouldn't I watch it? To which I say, well, it matters. It matters folks. I'm going to go one step farther for you. If you're watching content that you like and you're in a place in life where this is a reasonable thing to do, hunt out where that content came from. If it's a Twitch channel, if it's a YouTube channel, if it's a Patreon, if it's a GoFundMe madness, support whatever that original source was. Mm -hmm. Because a big takeaway that I've learned looking at a lot of other genres and some of our peer category groupings, whether it's actual content creators or tournaments or games is if we've got 30,000 people watching the show and they're actually all subscribed to that channel and that creator is getting, I don't know, two, three, whatever dollar amount they get from that for each of those viewers, even for one month, that creator could wind up with a 30 to $60,000 stipend from a single weekend. And we have a lot of creators where $30,000 is their entire year's income. That's a massive, massive relief on whoever that creator is. And they will have the wherewithal and the free time to actually engage as creators as often as, as and as energized that we would like them to be. And a dollar or two from each of us is a dollar or two. It doesn't mean that much maybe long-term, but it means a lot collectively. And if we can get back to that, it gets us back into that conversation a little bit ago about paying for the content that we love. I still buy comic books. They cost two to six bucks, depending. I get 15 minutes out of enjoyment from them a lot of the time because I read too damn fast. And that's it. We can support a content creator like Giuna and Obama over with Anime Illuminati. They've had that Dragon Ball Tekken Soul Calibur series going every Tuesday night for damn near an entire year. Mm-hmm. I have gotten way more than 15 minutes of entertainment out of that. And I, if I push for anything today, I would love to push for people supporting the people that create the content that we consume. And I know that's a statement that gets rallied by, by a lot of people who create content. So it sometimes falls on deaf ears, but mm-hmm. But it also, like, I, here's the other end of that is that I used to be someone who saw things on, it it is weird when, I mean, we're talking to each other, we've seen YouTube grow, or YouTube become YouTube, basically. 
Uh, we were there before YouTube, but throughout like the whole life of it, there used to be a time where people would say, subscribe to my channel. And I'm like, no, I'm just going to go to your channel and watch your videos. Anyway, I don't need to put my name to your channel because like, I don't know, there's like a part of me that was like, subscribe. That's, I don't need to do that. But now I understand that shit matters. Actually, there's a, there's inherent value to it. Uh, but anyway, that's my soapbox. And before I let you go, I got to ask you, I got to ask you a line of questions. It's a line of questioning that I ask everyone as they come on the show. Uh, and it is a two-parter. Uh, question number one. What is your favorite normal attack in any fighting game? Guile straight fierce. All day. I, I dig it. It is, it is so straight and to the point. When those knuckles hit, it is, it's right there. It's real good. That, bu- that is an amazingly satisfying button. Mm-hmm. I have walked into too many of those <laughs> personally. Like I, I used to have a, a guile training partner who I would play and he would just bot me week after week. And it, uh, that particular button just right to the jaw. I just me holding forward right into it. It just uh, nightmares, nightmare mode. Uh, good answer. Uh, part two kind of in line with that question what is your favorite combo in any fighting game? Oh, that one's much harder. I know. This could be, there's a lot of avenues to take here. So I think it is probably Mortal Kombat 9, Shang Tsung, Stairway to Heaven. Ooh, explain it. Shang Tsung had a series of projectile attacks that were just rising skulls from the bottom of the screen. Mm-hmm. that you could do at three separate locations that were static locations. They didn't track the opponent. And he had a standing roundhouse that would fling the opponent to the opposite side of the screen where the farthest skull could be. So you could just walk a character up the skulls and then uppercut them after the last one or yes. do a variety of other combo extensions. But that's always been the most fun thing to me. No, that's a that's a fun combo to watch because of like specifically how they juggle into it. Uh, I never did it myself. Um, wasn't a Shang Tsung player in that game. Uh, was that hard to do particularly? Do you know? Um, I don't think it was the hardest combo to execute. It, it was more so that you always had to make sure you were situationally in the right locations right. to activate it. If you, if you got it started, there was only one or two spots where I think you'd drop it and they weren't frame links. So, right. It's more of like a spacing issue, which is sometimes harder to to visually see when you're in it, especially in the moment. Uh, no, cool. I dig it. That's a good answer. Uh, and with that, that's an episode, folks. Uh, Rick, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. Uh, again, I want to re- reiterate here, folks, that, I mean, you just got off a plane. You have not pet your dog once. You walked definitely, into the house and... Definitely pet the dog. That's no. a lie. <laughs> That's all right. I was trying to play it up, uh, but to the point that no, literally you, you said I'm home. Uh, and I told you, please wait, please, please just be at home for a minute. Uh, and, and got right into it. And I'm sure you have plans to like, are you going to frosty fastings this weekend? 
I'm not only because I've got some meetings early next week that I need to prep for that are integral for some stuff coming up this year. So they need to take priority. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, And that's all up against actually living real life, which is its own grind in many ways, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've got my, my landlord is showing the house I'm in for sale tomorrow. So oh, fuck yeah, dude, I forgot about that. Uh, yeah, I will have to talk to you off mic about that because oh, man, moving is the fucking worst. God damn it. That is You're not wrong. Oh, man. I'm sorry. Uh, life but, is life, man. Yeah, dude. Fuck that. Um, but anyway, folks, that's a show again. Uh, where can people find you on the internet, Rick? I am most active on Twitter at twitter.com slash the Hado. Uh, outside of that, if you have a reason that has allowed you to scrounge up my email, I am mostly responsive to that. Otherwise, if you're actually trying to talk to me, catch me at an event around the country, around the planet, actually, at this point, geez. And preferably in St. Charles, Illinois, May 24th, 26th of this year for Combo Breaker 2019. Word. I can get down with it. That's definitely one of the events that I'm wanting to send players to this year for sure. It was the most requested event outside oh. of Evo because they, people were like, well, you have to send players to Evo. And I'm like, well, fucking, of course. Eh, how about how about you send you? And we set up an area at the event where you can just do a full day long version of this podcast where we just try to corral as many personalities as we can up to your microphone. I would need a leather wingback chair. I need a a bottle of Johnny Walker Blue Label uh, and a smoking jacket. Can we get those things on site? Do we think is that is that doable? I can probably get you a folding chair, maybe black label, and no smoking in the venue. So <laughs> one out of three. <laughs> Oh, fair enough. Um, by the way, side note. Nah, nope. I'm gonna, again, going to tell the story after this show. You'll have to <laughs> hold on to that one, folks. Maybe I'll tell it another time on another edition of RSF Radio. But that's it, folks. You can find me at SuperJoeMonday on Twitter.com or at RedditSF. Or you can just head on over to our Street Fighter and find me, Joe underscore Monday. That's show, folks. Thank you for spending the last hour and a half with us, and hopefully you come back next week on another edition of RSF Radio. But until then, folks, take care.